we do have a Bible study. So let's go into Matthew chapter 14. We'll continue our journey through Matthew. And as we opened up the chapter last time, if you're with us, we read about the circumstances concerning the arrest of John the Baptist by the hands of Herod the Tetrarch. He was the ruler up in the Galilee region. And because John had spoken against him and Herodias, uh, that he was arrested, Herodias, who didn't like John, uh, when it was Herod's birthday, made the request to her daughter that as you dance before Herod, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And that's what she did. So it was a grisly scene, it was a very gross scene as we looked at that last time. Some very important uh, application that we made uh, in that Bible study. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that study if you can. But we end it at verse 12 of Matthew 14. Let me read it to you. That then his disciples came and took away the body, that is John the Baptist, and buried it and went and found Jesus. And when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard of it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Father, I do pray that as we go over this very familiar uh, vignette, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, it's a story that I think that most of us are very familiar with. But Lord, I pray that we would be teachable right now, our ears open spiritually to hear from you, that there be fresh new understandings and application for us. And so, Lord, we come with humble hearts. We're here to feed upon your word that you give to us. So bless this time, encourage us, strengthen us. Uh, Lord, may we go out of here just amazed at the things that you want to show us, even as the people were amazed when they left that hillside in Galilee. And Lord, I just pray that you would just bless your people in every way right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to read about the feeding of the 5,000. And in Luke's account, it tells us that Jesus and the disciples would head over to a village in that area uh, that was called Bethsaida. And it's interesting that Bethsaida means the house of provision. In Mark's gospel, it informs us that Jesus' desire was for him and his disciples to get away for uh, some rest, to get some rest for a little bit. John tells us also, as well as Matthew, that the people followed the disciples on foot. In other words, as the Sea of Galilee sits in a bowl, uh, as they would see Jesus and the disciples get into a boat, they were following them uh, on the land. And, And Jesus and the disciples could see that mass of people just kind of following them as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And the reason that they were doing that is because John's narrative tells us that because of the signs that he had been doing, because of the miracles that he had been performing. And in the feeding of the 5,000 here at this point, I want to remind you once again that Jesus is at the peak of his popularity. Uh, We are going to see next week that after this miracle meal that is performed on the hillside, that the people are going to come, and we are told by the Gospels, that they're going to take him by force. They're going to crown him as their Messiah. And the reason that they were going to do that was for political, for material, physical uh, provision that Jesus had been doing in all the miracles that he is performing. They're kind of like, look, we'll never go hungry again. We'll never be sick again. Look at what he has done. And, And he'll probably overthrow the yoke of Rome. So they're wanting to crown him as king as their messiah on that basis and we know that jesus at that point would dismiss the crowds because he's not going to take their crown 
Matter of fact, the only crown that he's going to take is the crown of thorns. And Jesus, after this miracle, begins to talk to his disciples about, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over by the chief priests and elders. I'm going to be put to death, but I'm going to rise after three days. The only crown that he would take is a crown of thorns that would be pounded on his head. As he would take that cross and he would walk down the Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrows to that place of execution, and he would allow them to pin him to that Roman cross where he hung between heaven and earth so that he could provide the greatest need that any man or any woman has, and that is to be forgiven of sin. So Jesus here, as the multitudes are great, and he says to his disciples, let's go to a place, let's go to Bethsaida, get away, we need some rest. And we all know that it's important that we take that time to find rest, to get to a quiet place. I I hope and pray that you have a Bethsaida in your home, that you can get away and do devotions and have a quiet time before the Lord. But you also have a Bethsaida that is an extended time where you can just go and be quiet before the Lord and allow the Lord to pour into you so you can pour out to others. And we need those places. We need that time. And as we continue reading, we see that Jesus, when he uh, went out, he saw a great multitude in verse 14, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. So Jesus, as he hears about John's death, no doubt he's grieving. He's saddened by that, wanting to get a, to a quiet place with his disciples. And all of a sudden, here comes the multitudes. They are gathering. They, they meet them. I believe it's in John's gospel that they're, they're waiting for him as they pull up the shore. And as you think about it, so much for having quiet time, right? And we know that it would be very easy, or at least we would understand, if Jesus would have reacted in a way of being short with the people. Um, We don't like our vacations to be messed with, do we? We don't like our time to get away to be upset or interrupted. Hey, I I came to get away from you guys. I've been pouring into all of you, and and now you're here, and you're wanting more, and I need to get away with my disciples. I need this quiet time. I need to be alone. So the question oftentimes we will have is this. When is it, or how do I know when I need to get involved with the needs of others around me and engage in ministry and serve them and to help them or whatever the case may be versus I need to seek the Lord in quietness. I need that quiet time. I need extended time away. I need that solitude time. And those times are important that we retreat to a quiet place where we can hear his voice and receive from the Lord. It was Moses in chapter 33 of the book of Exodus that he folded up his tent. He walked outside the camp, and that was a big camp. We're talking about two and a half million people. And he would set up his tent. It was called the Tabernacle of Meeting, and it tells us that God talked to Moses face-to-face as a man would talk with a friend. Moses had a pretty busy schedule. He had a huge church, you know, two and a half million people. So when do we know when it is... Time to be involved with the needs of people, being flexible, getting involved with their lives and and interrupting our schedules to be flexible, to, to talk with them, to meet with them, to help them. 
Here the multitudes bring in those who are sick and Jesus is healing them versus I need my tabernacle of meeting and I need to talk with the Lord. Because as a pastor and as being a, a chaplain with the Weld County Sheriff's Office for many years on critical incidents and being a father, and you experience this as well, that there's always people around us that they're hurting, that need to be talked to, a, a phone call to make, people to, to minister to, people all around us that we can pour into. That never stops. But we also know that we need to, to take the time to be quiet before the Lord. And I think that verse 14 that we read here helps us in one way to know, just as it was with Jesus, to know when to, to be engaged in ministry. He saw the multitude and knows that he was moved with compassion. And that word move means that he had a deep uh, feeling and moving within his heart and his soul, moved with compassion. And I know that when compassion moves my heart, that there have been times when I was flexible because my heart had compassion and I engaged in this situation and got involved and I took the extra time to minister because compassion is gripping my heart. But I also know that there needs to be that time that I need to be quiet before the Lord. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, that Jesus said to his disciples in the King James, he said, let's come apart to a quiet place. And I know that if I don't come apart, that is take that time to be with the Lord and receive from the Lord and even extend the time because my wife will tell you that I'm one that I like to go, go, go. And I don't take a lot of time off, but I know that she's a good gauge for me as well. And it's like, you know, you need to get away. You need to take some time. The Lord will speak that to me. And I know that if I don't come apart to a quiet place, that I'm going to begin to fall apart spiritually because I'm overwhelmed and I'm taxed and I'm tired and I'm just drained. So Jesus here at this point, even though he's getting away to a quiet place, he's moved with compassion. He's healing all those who are sick. We continue reading in verse 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. So here's the scene. They, they get into a boat to go to a deserted place, to get away. The multitudes follow them on land. They pull up the shore. There's the multitudes that are there. And, and Jesus is ministering to them all throughout the day into the late hours of the afternoon. It's getting towards evening. And verse 15, the disciples come to him and they said, we've talked about this. We've had our first disciple board meeting and the day is late, and the people need to be dismissed, and send them away. You need to send them away so they can go into the villages and get some food. You know, these are the compassionate ones. This is the future church here. Send them away is what they are saying. Now, when we consider this, that, that seems to be a reasonable, really, point and concern that they're bringing up. Hey, it's getting late. Um, we need to send them into the villages so they can get some food. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you don't need to do that. They don't need to go. You give them something to eat. 
I wonder what was the look on those disciples when he said that. Just a look of, what? What do we do? Now, Mark tells us that they said, shall we go buy some food? Should we send for takeout? Is that what we're supposed to do? So they're confused, probably. They're concerned, certainly. How do you buy food and haul it back for thousands of people? How's that going to work? What do you mean you feed them? But I want to stop at this point in our study for us to, to think about something and pray through this. Because there are people all around us. Every single one of us have those people that are hungry. You know that to be true, don't you? As I look at the people around in our culture and in our society, there are more people hungry today than ever before. As we see the events that has happened over this last year with the pandemic and everything going on in our culture and in our society and with the elections and all of this, we thought we're going to enter into 2021 and hopefully it's, it, it's gets smoother and better and more calm. It's even more crazy than ever before. And the events that happened this week, it saddens us. And we wonder what's going on. And I've had people contact me, either to call me on the radio or to email me or, or call me and say, I feel so hopeless. What's going on? The uncertainty. I feel in despair. I feel depressed. We're hearing those kinds of things more and more, especially in this last year. The uncertainty that surrounds us. And they are looking for truth. They are looking for that which is true, and we have truth to give to them. Listen, sometimes people will talk to others and they say, well, you know, you need to go call the pastor. And sometimes they do. And we are here to serve you as best we know how, and we will serve you. But I want you to consider this. You feed them. You feed them. You have spiritual food to give to them. As you're coming here and you're growing in the word of God, you have the words of eternal life to give to them, words of truth and words of certainty. Because in this uncertain world, people are looking for that and they are hungry and they are thirsty and you have living water to give to them. You feed them and take the time as the Lord speaks to you to be flexible, to stop as you meet them in the grocery store and say, you know, let me tell you about something. Let me, let me tell you what the word of God has to say because people are hungry more than ever and I believe he wants to use those who are grounded in God's word you feed them you have spiritual food to give so as we continue with their story here in verse 17 and they said to him we have here only five loaves and two fish and he said bring them here to me then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes, and verse 20, so they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. In this story of the feeding of the 5,000, John's gospel, we read that at this time that Jesus would say that you feed them. Mark says that they're going, shall we go and get some food? And it is Jesus, John records, that then turned to Philip, testing Philip, and, and say, where shall we buy food? You know, where shall we buy some bread? So Philip gets out his calculator. 
he starts calculating, and he says, we have 200 denarii. We can get enough food to where everybody gets just a little tiny bit. And then Andrew pipes in, and Andrew says, I got this kid here that he has five loaves and two fish. Now, this is not five large Italian loaves and two large tunas or salmon. These are five dinner rolls, little biscuits, you know, uh, Texas Roadhouse. There are five little biscuits and two sardines. And Andrew says, we got these five muffins, biscuits, two sardines. We got it from this kid. It's his lunch probably, and he's willing to share. And then as Andrew's watching the disciples kind of slap their forehead and looking, oh, what are you saying, Andrew? Andrew's got a little bit of Peter's genes. You know, just things come out of his mouth. And, hey, here's a kid. He's got five biscuits and two loaves and all these thousands of people. And then Andrew goes, oh, but what are these among so many? And the look on Peter's face. But, you know, Peter, Andrew, they're brothers the same way. Next week we'll see Peter, that he's going to say to Jesus in the storm, command me to come and walk out on the water. It's like, who says that? But yet the Lord says, come. So he comes, and we'll look at that next week. But here's the thing. Then Jesus said something very important. As Andrew says, but what are these among so many? There's, there's 10 to 15,000 people in totality. There's 5,000 men. That's not the women and the children. There's at least 10,000 people that are here. What are these among so many and then Jesus says something very important. He said, bring them here to me. You must bring them to me. Giving what you have, what little that you have, Jesus says, give it to me. You see, these guys have been ministering for weeks now. They are worn out. Great miracles have been happening. Even the halls of power are hearing about it. And now they're faced with 10, 15,000 hungry people, and they have five small muffins and two sardines. And it was probably good that that child was there, that kid was there, because in childlike simplicity, he says, I have this to give. I have five dinner rolls. I have two sardines. And the disciples, at least this is, would be my tendency, would be, yeah, yeah, kid, beat it. That would be an adult. You know, an adult wouldn't give their, you know, lunch to, to share with all these thousands because this isn't going to work, and they should have brought food, and that's what they get for not bringing their food, and they should have thought about it, they should have planned it, and they're just getting what they deserve. You know how that goes. At least that can be my thought and my attitude at times. And I'm so thankful for this kid. We don't know how old he was. And he hears the disciples talking. What are we going to do? Well, you give them something to eat, Jesus says. Uh, here, I got a couple muffins and a couple sardines, and I'm so thankful for his childlike faith. What are these among so many? Andrew, Philip, Peter, and the rest of you guys. What are these among so many, Pastor Jeff? And you here at Calvary Chapel. Watch what I do. And you must give them 
to me. When I read this miracle over and over again, I, I'm so impressed with this miracle. All four gospel writers record the feeding of the 5,000. This is the only miracle besides the resurrection that's recorded in all four gospels. Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and John 6. All inspired from above. Matthew and John are eyewitnesses. Mark, he's getting the account from Peter. Luke interviewing eyewitnesses. John, when he writes his gospel, it is believed he's over 90 years old, and he gives more details than any of the other gospel writers. And this has taken place when John is only about 17, 18 years old. It impressed upon him so much that he writes as though it happened yesterday to him. It's so clear in his mind still. Now we read what happened as those few loaves and fish were put into Jesus' hand. And Jesus provides for the multitude, right? Hudson Taylor said this. When the Lord's work is done the Lord's way, it will never lack the Lord's provision. I'm going to say that again. When the Lord's work is done the Lord's way, it will never lack the Lord's provision. And I believe that is true for you and for your family and for us here at Calvary Chapel. We have always gone by the philosophy, you've heard me say it a hundred times, where God guides, he provides. And whatever we need here at Calvary Chapel, he will provide it for us. I don't need to manipulate you into giving. I don't need to put thermometers out in the foyer area. I don't need, I'm serious, I don't need to hire some marketing firm to come in and try to do a big fundraiser and get you to give in all of this. We want you to give freely and willingly and cheerfully is the, how we're to give according to the New Testament. And we give you the opportunity to give. But he will provide for us as he guides that. And I believe that with all of my heart. Well, what about the lot next door? What about it? He didn't give it to us to buy. So we're going to continue on. And I'm very thankful for what the Lord has given to us. But where God guides, he will provide for us in the weeks and the months ahead. And I'm not worried about it. When the Lord's work is done the Lord's way, it will never lack the Lord's provision. And it's a wonderful picture of that here. So verse 19, Jesus tells the disciples that have them sit in groups. Mark says in groups of 50 and 100. The Bible says we're to do all things decently and in order. And it probably took some time for them to do that. Hey, the master said, sit down. John says that this has taken place when Passover was near, which is in the springtime. Mark says that the grass was green. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Can the Lord set a table in the wilderness? He does here. And so they sit down in groups, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. Notice that he blessed, and he gave it out and fed thousands. And note between the blessing and the giving, there was a breaking. You see, great is the day when you say to the Lord, Lord, it's yours. What I have is yours. It may not be much. And he's going to bless it. And you're going to be able to give out to others. 
But oftentimes between the blessing and the giving out, there's a process of breaking. The woman that anointed Jesus there in John's gospel for his burial, Mary, that we know she took that box of expensive uh, spike nerd and he, she broke the box and anointed him. But before she could anoint him and give him, worship to him, she had to break that box. I think about Gideon and his 300 men in the book of Judges. You know the story. That they had to break the clay pots before victory was given. And the Lord wants to bless us, but before we are used to give out, he's going to do some breaking. He's going to break us of our self-reliance. He's going to break us of our pride. He's going to break us of our bitterness. He's going to break us of trying to do things in our own understanding. He's going to, to break us of our, uh, the dictates of our flesh. He's going to bring us to a point where he desires to break us so we can truly give out to others. A.W. Tozer said this, Before a man is used greatly, he must be broken deeply. So Jesus, he breaks the bread and the fish and the food. A miracle is taking place. Every time that he broke off, you know, more would grow back. This is an act of creation. As fast as he is breaking a piece of bread or fish off, more is created. And I wonder what the disciples are thinking as they're watching this. I wonder what that kid is thinking. His eyes have got to be just huge watching this that has taken place and the few, you know, you know, bread and fish that he gave to the Lord. It's like, this is incredible. And I wonder how long it took those 12 disciples to distribute all of that bread and fish. And then verse 20 tells us that they were filled. The Greek word is where we get our word glutton. They were filled so much that they couldn't eat anymore. It's interesting, used in another place in the Bible than in what is told to us here in the Gospels, and that is in Revelation chapter 19, at the great death of the return of Jesus Christ and the second coming, when he comes with his armies, that's you and me, and he touches down on the Mount of Olives, and then those armies of the world that gathered in the Valley of Megiddo in northern Israel in the last world war card called the Battle of Armageddon, they will turn to fight against Jesus. He will simply speak. He will destroy those armies, and... Great will be the destruction to where all the birds are filled with their flesh. Verse 21 of the chapter. That's our same word. It means completely satisfied. And here on this mountainside, he fed his flock. And he tells the disciples, you gather the fragments. John says, so that there would be no waste. Now, the fragments weren't a little piece of crumb here, and somebody didn't like the crust and kind of threw it down on the ground. These are whole pieces that weren't touched. That's what the word means. They're dumping baskets of bread and fish to all the people until finally he breaks the last piece. And the 12 disciples, they fill up 12 baskets full of uneaten bread and fish. They end up with more than what they began with, 12 baskets 12 disciples, I think that Jesus would break bread to where he knew that exactly there would be 12 baskets of fragments that would be collected. There wasn't 13. There wasn't one for Jesus. Okay, and gather up the fragments. And they all stood before him with a basket full, absolutely amazed. What was that moment like? You see, when you give what you have to him, 
And he takes you through that breaking process that needs to happen. And you begin to give out. You're going to have a basket full of blessing. You're going to have a basket full of amazement what the Lord is doing. You're going to have a basket full of just joy. Because the Lord desires to use you. And what this is saying here as we read this, of course, is something of obedience and faith. Lord, I don't have anything really to give to you. All I have to give to you is some time. I'm working so hard to provide for my family. I got all these kids around the house. And it seems like it's, it's about dirty diapers and, you know, changing and, and, and cleaning, you know, with piles of laundry and all of this. This is all I do. I don't have much. I just disciple a couple people at work. I, I teach once in a great while in the children's ministry. I hold the little ones in the nursery. This is all that I have to give to you. And the Lord says to every single one of us this morning, you must give these to me. Give it to me. And mom, you who are raising those children, yes, the house is cluttered and there's piles of laundry. You who are teaching in the children's ministry, those little ones, you are holding the little ones. You don't know if that's the next Joseph or Daniel or Joshua or Esther or Ruth. Dads, you are working so hard to provide for your family. Be the priest of your family and stand up and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And you watch the Lord bless. Give it to him. You must give these to me, he says. And that boy, I think about this boy. You know, you think about it. And, and you know, he says, Mom, Mom, I want her at the beginning of the day. I'm going to go out. I'm going to follow the multitude. And you know how it is, Mom and Dads. You know, did you make your bed? Did you take out the trash? Here, you need something to eat because I know you're going to be hungry. Here's some bread and here's some fish. Put it away. And if that happened, because she took care of that young boy, she fed a multitude that day. And at the end of the day, he comes home, and boy, does he have a story to tell. And I guarantee that if he grew up and got married and he had kids, that he would say, let me tell you, let me tell you what happened on that day on that hillside over here. What was it like, the kids would ask. Could you see it growing in his hands as he broke the bread? And that kid would talk about the love that was on his face, the compassion that he showed to the multitude. It was so incredible. And when they said, we need food, uh, all I could think of is take mine. I was just a kid. And now this story is passed to us 2,000 years later. And we can think, I don't have anything of significance to give. You see, that's what the world tells you. I just got a couple muffins, some sardines. I just got a Bible that I can share with the kids or to my friends. I got all these things, these rascals running around in the house. But as you stop and read them Bible stories and you pray with them and as you share, 
your faith with others and as you give others spiritual food, watch what he does. And the Lord says to us, you must give them to me what little has been given to you. Put them in my hands. You see, they're one thing in your hands. They're another thing in his hands. Okay, Lord, it's all yours. Lord, you've placed me here. You've given me these people. And I'm going to give it all to you. My heart, my time, my service, whatever it is, you put it in his hands. And as you do that, give your life to him in his hands. Watch him. Watch him. Do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Watch him bless and multiply because God's work and God's way will never lack God's provision. One more point. Don't tune out. This is important. It's a beautiful scene here, isn't it? People sitting on the hillside being fed by our Lord. He's been ministering all day, healing people, his compassion. Contrast that with what we read last week in the beginning of the chapter, Herod's place. Drunkenness and partying, carnality, a grisly, ugly scene, John the Baptist's head on a platter. You see, that's what the world has to offer. And what the world has to offer and what Jesus has to offer is completely different. And all of us have decisions to make where you will go, where you're going to spend your time, and what it is that you're going to prioritize. Are we going to be in a place where we can sit down and be fed by the Lord with his word, to be in a place where we can be comforted and strengthened and guided and encouraged and edified? Or Herod's place. They're going to spend your time in a place of carnality and the flesh is fulfilled and fed and it ends up being an ugly scene. Let me ask you this. Where would you rather be here in Matthew chapter 14? On the hillside with Jesus? Or at Herod's place? And Jesus would say, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. So, Father, we thank you for this very familiar story that's given to us, the fresh understandings that we have. And, Lord, I thank you for speaking to us. Pray all our hearts would be touched, that we would be moved. And, Lord, this is for us. And I pray that we would understand that there's people around us that are hungry and that we would have a heart of compassion. There is a world out there that is hurting and confused and hungry. And we have something to give to them. We have spiritual food to give to them, living water. People are thirsty. We see the chaos around us. We see the uncertainty. Lord, forgive us if we put any person or any movement or anything ahead of you to reign in our hearts, to trust in. Lord, your truth 
We trust in you, your promises, the certainty that we have in your word, the certainty of your promises, that we belong to a kingdom that will last forever, that we can be discerning of the days in which we are in. We pray for our nation. We see it unraveling right before our very eyes, politically, morally, spiritually, economically. We don't know what the days hold, the future. We do as believers that we belong to a kingdom that will last forever. Man's kingdoms will come to an end. And Lord, there is the hope, the blessed hope that is before us. But Lord, we do pray for our nation, for the people around us, that we are here for such a time as this. We pray that there would be a spiritual awakening because you do want to save. And you would help us to be light, to be discerning of the days in which we are in, to keep our eyes and our focus on you. And have hearts of compassion, not full of anger. But Lord, that we would be able to show people how much we care. I thank you for these reminders that we can gather as your people here in this place. But also, Lord, I want to pray for those who may be here, anybody who's here or listening online or listening on the radio later, that you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Listen, he is your hope. He's your only hope. It's not in trying to be good or it's not in even hearing a Bible study. As good as that is, that won't save you. Are you right with God? Have you made a commitment to Jesus Christ? Religion won't save you. Religion never saved anybody. Jesus Christ saves. And he did provide for you salvation and forgiveness of sin and right relationship with the Father. As he took that crown of thorns, he was, he was beaten. And he took that cross and he walked up to that place called Golgotha in the Hebrew tongue. And he died for you because he loves you. And he cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. I've paid the price. And the greatest need is to be forgiven of sin and to come to recognize that he is Lord because three days later he rose from the grave. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. He's the only one that conquers sin and death. And he proved that he's the son of God and he validated what he did on that cross. And the Bible says, as you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus confess with your mouth that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. And the invitation is to come. If that means anything to anyone here today at this time, listen, tomorrow's a promise to any of us. And if you're not right with God, get right with God. Come to Him. Call out to Jesus. And as you sincerely do that, He will hear you. And you can pray, Jesus, I, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I have sinned. And I believe you died for my sins. You provided forgiveness. Forgive me. And I believe you rose from the grave. So sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I do want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. And I thank you for bringing me into this, this new kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, and for this new beginning. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And for all of us, as we leave here and we go out into our mission field, 
that we would give spiritual food to others, but allow you to just break us of anything that is unlike you that you're dealing with, the carnality, the self-reliance, the pride, all those things, Lord. And Lord, we must give these things that we have that have been entrusted to you, our children, our ministry, our time, our resources, to know the time when to engage and the time to really be Lord, filled with your comfort and strength and grace to hear your voice. So I thank you for these things that we can continue to pray through. And Lord, just allow you to work in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Amen. All right. Okay. Would you please stand?